0: to Tavis Smiley and Keith Boykin on KBLA Talk, 1580, former White House aide, uh, best-selling author, national political commentator, and uh, glad to have Keith Boykin back with us on this program to talk politics for the rest of this hour. Um, back to that White House Correspondents' Dinner, um, Keith, um, uh, Roy w- Roy Woods Jr., uh, Roy Woods Jr., uh, the comedian, uh, funny guy, uh, made a joke that uh, didn't land so well uh, about uh, some of these school shootings, and everybody kind of demurred, grew a few rumblings in the house. Um, so, uh, not something that they were prepared to at least get caught on tape laughing at. Uh, but uh, all jokes aside, uh, today is May 21st. This is the 121st day of the year. I find myself sadly doing this every weekend. It always seems to happen on a Monday. Go figure. Um, all these uh, shootings, so many of them on the weekends. Um, but today is May 21, uh, day. Uh, Uh, today's not May 21. May May 1st. I'm tripping. I'm I'm way ahead of myself. Uh, It's May. uh, JD, you wrote May 21 on this page. By the way, Uh, I just read what you wrote. It's actually May 1. Today is the first day of May. Let me get that straight. I'm 21 days ahead of myself. JD's trying to push me faster than I really want to go. Uh, Today is May 1st. It is the 121st day of the year. That's what he was getting at. 121. Today is May 1. The 121st day of the year, and so far. 176 mass shootings this year, the 121st day of the year, but we've had 176 mass shootings so far. Uh, One over the weekend, of course, making national news in Texas, Uh, five people killed there. Um, They are still uh, looking for the shooter unless something's happened in the last few minutes breaking news that I've not seen. Uh, they're still looking for the shooter who uh, somehow got past police and cops, uh, sheriffs, uh, law enforcement, got past everybody. Uh, they thought they had him trapped. Um, somehow he escaped them. And right now they are saying they have zero leads, zero leads in tracking down this shooter in uh, Texas, uh, just outside of Houston. Um, a reward is now increased to 80 80K. Um, So the story is uh, developing. I I raise it only because, Keith, as I said a moment ago, it seems that every Monday morning I have to update what day of the year we are in, how many mass shootings happened over the weekend, what the total number is for the year. Again, Roy Wood Jr. made a joke about this didn't land so well. This is no laughing matter. Uh, And yet these uh, shootings continue, Keith, unabated. What say you?
1: Well, yeah, it is not a laughing matter, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. Our country has come to this point. Um, and, you know, the Texas shooting, there's a lot of different elements to that, but I'll, I'll tell you something. I'm here in D.C., Washington, D.C. right now. Right. I live in Los Angeles. But um, I found out about the Texas shooting on Saturday morning. And Saturday, early Saturday morning, I was in um, Annapolis, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was walking down the street, and I saw a monument for... Uh, it, said, it was a newspaper article, it was on the monument plaque, and it said five people shot dead. And I looked at it, it was about the Capital Gazette shooting that took place, that five journalists were shot five years ago. And then on the, the exact same day when I see that headline, walking, just walking down the street, I hear this news story that five people were shot dead in Texas. Mm-hmm. And these headlines, they just keep repeating themselves because our country refuses to do anything about this tragedy of gun violence. And everybody they want to you know a lot of people on the conservative side they always want to say well what about chicago what about chicago that's their default Mm -hmm. instead of dealing with the reality that gun violence plagues every city in every state in this country there's no city or state that is unique to this every city is, is affected by this and the shooting in texas is even more tragic because the governor after the shooting took place governor greg abbott came out and released a statement and he, he described it as a shooting of five illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. First of all, they weren't, they weren't all undocumented. But, but secondly, the idea that you would dehumanize these people who were victims of gun violence instead of dealing with the fact that they were, they, 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 they were just minding their own business and, and they were shot and killed because of our obsessive gun culture. It shows just how far off kilter we are and how we respond to this. And I don't know, you know, you, you talked about the people that they haven't been able to apprehend the person involved with this. Well, I don't know anyone who has uh, suffered from gun violence or suffered from crime who wouldn't rather the crime not happen than have, have someone arrested after it happened. So we have to change our focus. We focus more on prevention of crime. That means taking guns out of the hands of people who don't need them, instead of trying to solve the crime after people have already been killed and and been hurt by it.
0: Yeah. What's sad about your your reference to Governor Greg Abbott's comments is that Texas Uh, has confronted multiple mass shootings uh, in recent years, including, of course, the attack at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde that left 21 people dead, a racist assault at an El Paso Walmart in 2019 that killed 23 people, Uh, a gunman opening fire at a church in a tiny town of Sutherland Springs in 2017 that left two dozen people dead. This most recent shooting, uh, as you mentioned, where five people are dead and for the governor to come out, Uh, And to blame it, you know, to essentially dehumanize them, saying they're illegal immigrants. And uh, for he and other governors to continue standing behind the NRA or with the NRA and doing nothing uh, about these guns is tragic. Uh, In this particular shooting, there was another AR-15 i don't know anything about guns it's just that there are two or three names of guns that i hear all the time every time these stories break uh they seem to be the same instruments of death uh and so i i don't own a gun never have never shot a gun never touched a gun i i I am in my 50s i have literally never touched a real gun in my life never touched one uh and so i know nothing about uh, guns but i know about gun culture and i talk about it all the time and we uh, debated all the time, and there are always these shootings that lead us into different conversations about it all the time. Uh, and so, here again, another AR-15 being used. Here's the real sad part, Keith. Uh, when I said a moment ago that these shootings continue unabated, um, we are we 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 are we are told by the Associated Press and USA Today. In partnership with Northeastern University, uh, they are tracking these shootings and have been for some time now. We are told that this year uh, is on track to set a new record for mass shootings. So the more we talk about it and the more mass shootings that we you know, seem to be or act as if we are chagrined and troubled by, the more they keep happening, so here we are in twenty twenty three about to set another record for mass shootings. Uh, never mind all the conversation, all the talk, all the shootings, all the death, uh, all the deaths we are still on uh, on track to set a new record for mass shootings this year. Keith Boykin.
1: well, we are, we are, and the sad part is that the majority of the American people support action about this. The majority of American people, eighty percent or more, according to the polls, support universal background checks. They support uh, restrictions on on uh, access to guns, raising the age to, to, to purchase to purchase guns. Uh, a large majority of Americans support uh, the idea of banning assault weapons, and this is something we did before, and it had a, a positive effect in reducing mass shootings in our country. But it expired, and we just have moved into this, this territory in the past two decades where gun culture, in my opinion, has become synonymous with, dare I say, white supremacy. Mm. It, it has become a form of, of, of fearful white people to protect themselves from what they feel is this invasion of black and brown people. Um, and this is something, you know, Carol Anderson writes about this in, in her book, uh, The Second, uh, this is something that goes back historically to uh, the early 1800s and late 1700s, when a lot of the the fear about black people having guns and the reason why they, they wanted white people to have guns was because they were afraid of uh, of black people having access to weapons that could be used against against black against white people. So they wanted white people to be armed and black people to be disarmed. So we have this whole sort of this this disconnect from the second amendment where it applies to some people where white people have the right to carry guns and walk down the street and, and, and not have problems. remember Kyle Rittenhouse walked mm-hmm. down the street in Kenosha nobody even bothered him while he was carrying an assault weapon a young boy carrying an assault weapon after he just murdered two people the police just let him walk by but black people can't even be in the proximity or adjacent to a gun without being perceived as being violent and threatening and menacing, and therefore they had to be taken out and shot and killed by the police or, or some sort of vigilante or George Zimmerman type of a neighborhood watchman. This is the disconnect, because a lot of us in the black community, I've ha- I used to have this conversation with an um, uh, old friend, Isaiah Washington, mm-hmm. um, who is very pro-gun and conservative. But a lot of people in the black community have this perception that we will be safer if we all arm ourselves and we have guns. And I understand that. But the reality is that we don't get treated the same way in our society when we do have guns. Mm. I come from a family where people did have guns. I I grew up around guns. I I grew up next to a cornfield. I used to shoot a BB gun when I was a kid. My father had had guns. My grandfather had guns. Um, But I've also had guns pointed at me. I've been a victim of gun violence. I have people, somebody who tried to to rob me with a gun here in Washington, D.C. My uncle was murdered by a gun in in St. Louis, Missouri. I've seen people in my family use guns against other people in our family. Uh, And so I just know how this gun culture is hurting people, black and white in this country, and we need to do something to rein it in.
0: Indeed, we do. Um, I've often said that if you really want to solve the the gun problem in this country, um, then... Arm every black person with a gun. I hear Keith's point about his uh, debates over the years with Isaiah Washington. Um, but I've said, uh, again, many, many times, you want to solve the gun problem? Give every Negro in America a gun. That'll stop all this madness. If if everybody in this country uh, who uh, wants to target uh, black people or beyond, for that matter, know that they're packing as well, that's going to solve your gun problem. When everybody's packing, ain't nobody shooting. Uh, it's mutual deterrence. And yet I hear Keith's brilliant point uh, that the problem with that logic, Tavis, Keith, is basically saying to me, is that black people still get treated differently when they have a gun or when they use a gun. So it doesn't really solve the problem to arm every Negro with a gun in this country. I hear his point. I digress when we come forward. A great deal more news to get to, including E. Jean Carroll, who resumes her testimony today in the Trump rape trial after the judge um, said there will be no mistrial. The case goes forward. You're listening to Keith Boykin and Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. He's Keith Borkin. And we are glad to have you with us in this first hour today as we uh, kick off the week, as we always do, talking about the politics over the weekend that you may have missed Uh, politics, uh, social news, economic news. I got some of all of that today as we move through the rest of this hour. We'll get to J.P. Morgan Chase taking over First Republic Bank uh, in a moment. And um, the fear this has put in other people that we're about to see some uh, more drama uh, with these banks that were we are told too big to fail. First Republic has failed. Uh, JP Morgan Chase has taken it over, uh, but it's not just the failure that I want to get to with Keith in a moment. It is that JP Morgan Chase is already the largest bank in the nation, and they just got bigger. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how to read that. Uh, when we come forward, though, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that uh, first. Though uh, I mentioned before news, traffic, and sports that the uh, uh, that the case of uh, defamation uh, and rape uh, against Donald Trump continues. E. Gene Carroll who claims that uh, Donald Trump raped her many years ago, returned to the witness stand in this case uh, after the judge denied a defense request for a mistrial. It's important to note, again, that this is a civil case so that uh, whatever the verdict is in this case, Donald Trump will not go to jail because of this one. Uh, there are other cases, of course, where he could face jail time, and there are a number of cases, you, as you well know, listening to this program every day uh, that Donald Trump faces. Already uh, uh, indicted, uh, um, uh, arraigned, uh, arrested in the case uh, brought by Alvin Bragg in New York City. Uh, we're still waiting to see what Letitia James would do in New York State, what Fannie Willis would do in Fulton County in Georgia, uh, what the special prosecutor would do in D.C., where Keith Borkin is today. Uh, there are two cases inside the Justice Department, as you well know, one regarding the documents at Mar-a-Lago, and the other regarding his behavior in uh, the January 6th insurrection. Mike Pence, as you know, uh, um, Uh, has now testified in that case um, regarding his former boss and their communications. And so that case continues to move forward, the special prosecutor's investigation. Uh, And again, E. Jean Carroll and this rape and defamation civil case in New York City. Um, Keith Borkin, I I don't know what the question here is other than to say, uh, do you think that any of that will slow down the train? You mentioned earlier in this conversation (laughs) that DeSantis is only only the nominee if Donald Trump is dead, Or behind bars and so um how do you read all of these cases coming against donald trump
1: <laughs> well I, I don't know about you to this but you know if, if i have one person suing me or one person threatening to put me in jail i would figure that was pretty much uh my whole day or week or month or year but yeah. <laughs> this man has five or six different cases against him uh just the main cases against him and uh, he seems to just continue on. Um, I, I just don't know how, how somebody continues to cope like that when you have so much, uh, so many uh, allegations that are facing you. But um, you know, just the, the, started with the first case, the E Jean Carroll case. Let's just think about this for a second. Remember that just a few years ago, when Trump was president, his Justice Department under Bill Barr delayed this case this is why it's only happening now this case was filed years and years ago mm-hmm. they delayed this case delayed this case because said he's the president of the united states he can't be sued even though this is for conduct that happened before he was president they tried this they tried to get he tried to get the, the federal government the federal government the u.s taxpayers to pay for representing him in this case that's how. That's what Trump was doing. And that's the reason why this case has been so long getting to the court, because the Trump people have been delaying and delaying. That's his tactic forever, for everything, pretty much. But this case is a very strong case, according to Trump's own former White House lawyer, Ty Cobb. He said that because of the way the case has been presented, and because of the evidence they're able to be, be able to bring in about past incidents and uh, before the uh, E.G. Carroll incident and previous incidents after that, it, it makes it very hard for the Trump team to overcome that. It, even in a civil case, it looks like, uh, you know, unless he has some sympathetic jurors on his side, this is not going to go well for Donald Trump. Uh, now, the other cases, you've you already out- outlined what those are all about. I don't need to get into them in detail, mm-hmm. but I will say this. So, you know, I, I do think that the, the Fonnie Willis case in Georgia is, uh, is one of the most threatening cases of all, because it, it, we've all heard the tape. We've heard the, the, the tape where Donald Trump is uh, on the telephone saying that he just needs to get, what is it, 16,000 votes or whatever it is mm-hmm. to find in order, to, uh, in order to, to win the election. He's not trying to, to, to uphold democracy. He's just trying to, to do whatever it takes to win. And we have evidence of it. Supposedly more evidence it might be coming. But we're expecting that won't happen until uh, July to September, according to Fonny Willis on that one. And then the insurrection case and all these other cases, I, I just don't understand how the Republican Party, the party that calls itself the Law and Order Party, plans to put Donald Trump, a man who was then twice impeached, currently indicted, facing rape allegations on trial in the civil case in New York, and potentially facing future indictments, to put this man on 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 your on your national stage as your standard bearer and say this is a representation of why we believe in law and order. It's it, it's a it's the blatant hypocrisy to even suggest that this is not he is not the person to represent that.
0: It'd be laughable if it weren't so serious. Uh, and I want to come to this in just a second here. Uh, again, it'd be funny if it weren't so um, so 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 serious. Uh, given uh, that there are other persons they could uh, select to be their nominee. Uh, but I'm mindful of the fact that Donald Trump did beat Hillary Clinton, uh, and we can laugh at this all we want. Uh, and yet, yep. uh, if he's the nominee, who knows what happens? Let me let me come to that in just a second. Just a quick a quick uh, uh, update uh, for those who um, have not been following this um, E. Jean Carroll rape uh, and defamation case. She accused Donald Trump um, of raping her at a Bergdorf Goodman department store dressing room in late 1995 or early 1996 um and uh, they've used that sort of undermine her credibility she can't recall exactly when it happened uh what day it happened when it happened they've tried to use that to undermine her credibility but that's the accusation that trump raped her in a Bergdorf goodman department store dressing room uh in the mid 90s number one her defamation came her defamation claim rather uh comes from uh october 2022 when trump posted on his truth social truth social platform uh That uh, uh, she was uh, advancing what he called a complete con job and a hoax and a lie. So the rape goes back years ago to allegedly uh, a department store worked off Goodman in a dressing room. And the defamation part of this civil case uh, is connected to uh, Trump uh, pushing out on social media that um, the case was a complete con job. And a hoax and a lie. So there is how you get to defamation and rape. That's the backstory on this case. Again, E. Gene Carroll on the witness stand again today. We will see in the coming days what happens. um, But the judge, again, uh, denied a defense request for a mistrial. And so the beat goes on, as they say, in that courtroom. Now, back to the point you made a moment ago, Keith, if I can, briefly uh, about Donald Trump. Uh, I hear your point. Uh, It'd be hard uh, uh, to make the case to you, me, or I suspect most of our listeners uh, as to why Donald Trump deserves to be your presumptive nominee. It's going to be hard to make the case that you're the party of law and order with this guy as your standard bearer. I hear your point. And yet this is the guy uh, that beat Hillary Clinton. Uh, This is the guy uh, who at the moment, at least, it appears uh, I saw polls the other day that he's above 60 percent. Uh, favorability. Um, most Republicans uh, would vote for him today uh, if uh, the election were, were held today. Um, so I take nothing against Joe Biden, uh, <laughs> but uh, we didn't see Donald Trump beating Hillary Clinton, so I don't know what to make of it.
1: Well, a couple of things. First of all, he said when he ran for president in 2016 that he could stand in the, the middle of Fifth Avenue That's in right. New York City and shoot somebody and he wouldn't lose any support. So that tells you what type of people he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Second thing, a recent poll came out uh, just a few days ago that said that two thirds, two thirds of Republicans said they would still vote for Donald Trump even if he was convicted of a crime. Mm-hmm. That's my
0: point. You're making this is a
1: you're, law and order party.
0: You're making my point though. You're making my point, man. <laughs> no,
1: no, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't assume that Trump was going to lose any support yeah. or voters for this. But I do think, uh, and not within the Republican Party, but I do think you can't win a presidential election in the in, for Donald Trump uh, with just that Republican base. That base is loyal; they're not going anywhere. Right. Any Democrat thinks that they can try to convince those people to, to move over to the Democrat Party. They're losing them; they've lost their mind. That's not happening. They're going to support Trump through through thick through thick and thin. So you've got this base of people. The Republican Party in this country, you know, averages. Both parties are averaging the 40 range, 40% range. And then you've got the the people who are in the middle who don't necessarily identify with political parties either way. And those are the people who just had the elections, the persuadable persuadable voters, the swing voters. And those people, the independent voters, do not like Donald Trump's criminal activity. That's why it's so difficult for him to win an election. Hillary, the Hillary Clinton election notwithstanding, you have to understand, he still lost the popular vote in the election. Uh, but, but people and uh, the people were... We're also sort of not fully aware of what kind of danger Donald Trump would pose at that time. So you let me. Know, the Democratic Party has. The Democratic Party has won the pop vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. Fair enough. That's Le- the first.
0: Fair enough. Let me push back, though, just for the sake of argument. Uh, since we're talking about polls, there are two other polls we could point to uh, that underscore, one, that most Americans don't want either one of these guys, Trump or Biden, true. to be uh, president, true. number one. That's true. true. And secondly, as you and I both know, the enthusiasm, at the moment at least, maybe it will change between now and Election Day. But Biden's going to be the guy, but even the Democrats, uh, the base, ain't excited about that. So uh, so my point is that anything, again, could happen if the turnout is low, but those loyal voters um, to Trump turn out. Uh, I don't know, Keith Borkin. We'll continue when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Minutes. Keith Morgan, let me give you last word on this particular point. There are two other political issues I want to cover, and then we'll move to J.P. Morgan Chase's takeover of First Republic and what's happening economically in the country. Um, but I, I agree with you. Ostensibly, ostensibly, a Trump-Biden rematch should be the greatest thing that Democrats can use, uh, their best weapon, to convince people to turn out to vote. And yet, as you know, there are people who want somebody other than Biden to run. I'm talking about Democrats now, want somebody other than Biden to run. So there's an enthusiasm gap, if you will.
1: Yeah, but you know there was an enthusiasm gap in twenty twenty too, and who won? No, fair <laughs> yeah, enough. Because the Trump, the Trump people, the Trump people were saying this throughout the whole twenty twenty campaign. Well, look at all the people Trump is drawing at his rallies; they're, they're excited, they're motivated, and the Biden is is only drawing ten or twenty people here and there, and that's not that's not. You know, well, rallies and enthusiasm are nice, but that's not what counts in in electing the president. It's about who who gets most people to the vote, to the polls to vote.
0: No, fair, fair point, and that's my concern. My concern is turnout. Um, No question in my mind who the better candidate is. I'm concerned. Uh, and I keep underscoring this issue about turnout, and maybe the more we say that, the more people will turn out when we get to the election. But we got a ways to go. We'll keep saying it though. Um, quickly on this note, um, th- I saw a couple stories this weekend. I think this was in the New York Times I was reading, uh, but I've seen these stories a few places. There's a disconnect, uh, Keith, specifically intra intra Black America uh, regarding Joe Biden. Black electeds, of course, as you might expect, are standing firmly with him, but there is some softness. Uh, there's some there's some shrinkage, if you will um um a slowdown in his support amongst black voters writ large again so black electeds obviously standing firm with their president but black voters writ large have some concerns they're still upset about no 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 policing uh, bill passed the george floyd bill has not been passed uh the the john lewis bill on voting rights has not been passed so there are a number of things that are concerning To black folk, that Democrats have not moved beyond the filibuster, just a few items that concern black voters, who are distinctly different in this category from black elected, standing by their president in that quarter category, that could be an issue for the president. Yes or no?
1: Um, Yes, it could be an issue, but I think that the White House has done a bad job of communicating what they have uh, accomplished uh, on issues that affect African Americans. I've been a big critic of uh, the Biden, uh, uh, Joe Biden, before he ran for president, and even during his administration, because I haven't felt like they've been pushing on some of these issues, as we, as you mentioned, jo- the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. But at the same time, I have to give them credit for the things that they have done. Sure, and 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 to acknowledge the things where they tried but weren't able to accomplish those things. So, for example, the, the student loan debt cancellation would just dis- disproportionately would affect African American people. Um, uh, that issue has been stalled because of Republicans in Congress, Republicans in state governments, and attorneys general who are filing a lawsuit to, to stop that, uh, aid to black farmers. That's another issue where they tried to do something, but th- that issue has been stalled because Republicans and conservatives have filed lawsuits lawsuit to, to stop that. And th- those are just some of the things that are being blocked. Yeah, uh, Biden has also appointed a historic number of, of black judges and black women in particular judges and uh, now we can't get those passed or get, get those confirmed and even more because of the Senate is in this whole, whole sort of uh, stalemate situation with uh, with the filibuster Republicans but then there are some things that may have been successful. We have now the lowest black unemployment rate in history which is something I think that the Biden administration has done a horrible job of communicating mm-hmm. because when we, when we had low unemployment uh, in the, in the Trump administration was Oh, which Trump inherited from Obama, Trump talked about it incessantly. You yep. never heard him. Never heard him, even when he was talking to white people who didn't care about it. He talked about it. Biden, needs, the Biden and the Biden team, need to talk about that more. They need to talk about the historic HBCU funding. They need to talk about the fact that we we actually uh, passed the Till Anti Lynching Act after a hundred years of trying to do that. They need to talk about the fact that we have the first black woman in the Supreme Court, the first black woman who's uh, uh who's uh, the Vice President of the United States, and the historic appointments they're making all throughout the government. But they have done a very ineffective job of communicating their successes. Even the trip that Kamala Harris took to Africa Sure, I didn't see that get anywhere near the coverage that I, that should have gotten for, for the work that she was doing. There.
0: I, I want to offer a thought on why they may not they're not stupid. They're not naive They know what they've accomplished Keith Borkin So the question is why are they not pushing out more aggressively what they have done for black folk? Black folk and I'll give you my thought on why they may not be doing that you can I'm sure can tell from my inflection the argument I'm about to make when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Now, a little now, bit more is so all we have time for. Keith Boykin, I got three minutes and I got three questions. Let's go. Number one, is okay. it, to your point, I hear you loud and clear, but is it a winning strategy to tell all the good white folk what you've done for the black people? <laughs>
1: um, it's a winning strategy to tell everybody what you've done for the black people because black people are the, the most loyal constituency of the Democratic Party. And I know what you're saying. You're saying that you think that the the White House is purposely not telling
0: Ah. White people, what they're doing because, they
1: might, because they might, it might hurt them, and you might go. you might be right. I yeah. hope you're wrong, but you might be right. But the re- the reason the reason why that's problematic, though, and there's a there's a, part, there's a core group of people in the Democratic Party who believe that you know you you got to try to get those middle voters, in middle America. Those people, are, if they haven't already voted Democrat, they're not going to vote Democrat now. You're wasting yeah. your time. You, I would say get your base out there to vote, and black people are the people who need to be well, encouraged, motivated to, to vote.
0: Point well or, taken. Next question. Point, point, well like, take. <laughs> nope, point well taken. Point well taken. I tell you. uh number 2 um, should we be concerned uh that a few banks have failed including most recently first republic over the weekend and that jp morgan who takes over first republic uh after this seizure uh is now uh is even a a, a bigger bank they were already the largest bank in the question in in the country rather so should we yeah. be concerned about these bank failings and that the
1: biggest bank just got bigger Yes, we should be concerned about both, and part of the reason was we have we've seen these these periods in time where we've had these efforts of deregulation that happened in the nineties, that happened uh, after a few, just a few years ago, where the bank the banking industry is basically writing their own rules, mm-hmm. where they're coming to the, the legislators in Washington saying, "Oh, we can manage this. You know, you don't have to worry about these things. We'll take care of this." Uh, even what we're seeing now with, with First Republic and some of the smaller banks is that those banks were kind of carved out from some of the, the, the structural requirements the other banks had to, to go through because mm-hmm. they, didn't, they didn't feel like they would affect the economy because they weren't too big to fail. And clearly there is a need for more regulation. We've got to get out of this whole mentality that we let industries regulate themselves and exactly. that they're going to be always in the best interest of the conservatives.
0: Yep, last question in 30 seconds. Um, circling back to Donald Trump, if he, in fact, he is the presumptive nominee their the party, what does that say about the state and the future of the Republican Party?
1: You know, I had this conversation with Michael Steele uh, a year ago or so. I asked him about that because I was saying at that time, I think more black people should actually join the Republican Party, even though I'm not a Republican, to, to change the party. And Michael Steele told me it was too late. That the party is, is, is essentially, it's too late to, to be able to salvage the Republican Party for race issues or for black people. So I think the state of the Republican Party is, is it's dead. The party of Lincoln, yeah. as they used to call it. No longer exists.
0: Keith Borkin, national political commentator, and New York Times bestselling author, former White House aide to President Bill Clinton. Uh, his most recent book is Race Against Time The Politics of a Darkening America, a fine read. I highly recommend it. Race Against Time by Keith Borkin. Keith, good to have you on. We covered those three minutes uh, pretty quickly uh, and uh, I think pretty, uh, pretty pretty deftly. So thank you for your time, sir. We'll do it again. Always a pleasure, Tavis. Always Bye a fine. pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Hour two of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports. You're listening to KBLA Talk 15 15-